0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 311, which is an amazing band from the 90s, (laughs) and we are recording on December 21st. Just kidding, they were terrible. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot, and
1: our last episode of the year. I'm resisting the urge to sing, Amber is the color of your energy at you right (laughs) now. look well, what you did be stuck in everyone's head ah. for all time
0: you're welcome amber is not the color of my energy That's well <laughs> no it's probably true
1: i uh i can't believe it's actually this time it's for real our last show of the year it is
0: <laughs> yep next year our offices are closed functionally our podcasts take a break uh the week between christmas and new year's so we are this is it yeah next week we're gonna have a or not ne- next week our next episode which will be the first episode of january we're gonna do a nice retrospective and Mm. goal reading goals discussion so that will be fun so yeah anyway that's not usually how this show works how this show usually works is that (laughs) you send us your email record or your reading recommendation request and we answer them on the air you can email them to us at com, or you can drop them in the form on uh which is at the bottom of the show notes on the site we are not answering them until 2022 bless but send them to us anyway because we'll get to them promise all right. Um, do we have feedback? We do. We have oh, we have feedback from Jen. <laughs> um, Jen Sink, who is our audio editor, says for the person who was looking for Russian historical fantasy, she recommends Serafina's Lament by Sarah Chorn. Jen says, I can't actually vouch for it personally, but it is a Stalinist Russia inspired dark fantasy specifically inspired by the Holodomor period. So there you go. I don't know if I said that right. I don't think I've ever heard that word before. I don't know No, me neither. But now I want to –
1: I need to find out more.
0: I know. I'm going to Google it. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to read us our first question and then we will hear from our first sponsor and away we will go. Our first question is an insider's fast track question. Members of our insider's program can have their questions bumped to the top of the line. So this is from Rebecca who says, I've recently been nominated, in quotes, lovingly voluntold, to set up a queer book club at work. The group is very excited to get reading, and when polled for their preferences, they said they were open to anything, but in my experience, folks will say that until they realize how much variety that actually encompasses. For our first read, I'll be proposing four books for the group to vote on. I acknowledge that my reading choices tend to be more esoteric than is suitable for a workbook club, which is where your help comes in. Here are some of the less obscure books books I'm currently considering for the top four. Fun Home, The Chosen and the Beautiful, uh, Less, and The Color Purple, Things to Know About the Group. Um, they are from their late 20s to the early 60s. It includes both allies and LGBTQIA2 plus books. Most aren't big readers, so she wants books under 400 pages. No steamy romances. You know, just a little weird to read about sex with your coworkers. <laughs> um, I want to avoid books that are mired in queer hate-based tragedy and also trying to avoid SFF, not a way to hook this
2: group. Okay, so let's hear from our first sponsor. <laughs> that he will have seven great loves in his life and then he meets arena in 95 and she's like the best she's brilliant charismatic quick-witted funny they fall in love Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena De Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But but then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money so what does she do she cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals but then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders and the truth selena has been denying can no longer be avoided there is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. And to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jen, what do you have for a
0: voluntold queer book club?
1: Yeah, it's tricky because I definitely would not want to read about sex in a workbook club yeah. in any work environment, Really, even potentially here at Book Cry, but definitely yeah. any other <laughs> Um, So that really limited what I felt like I could recommend. So I settled on a memoir. It's Northern Light by Kazim Ali. And it is about 200 pages, so short. There was a request for them to be shorter. And this is not really, like, a lot about being queer. It's actually much more about, well, here, let me tell you what it's about. So Ali is the child of South Asian immigrants, and he and his family lived all over the place when he was young. Um, He was born in London, and then they moved around Manitoba and then came to the United States. And he is, you know, a queer Muslim man and has like this, you know, sort of itinerant childhood and so has always felt like he doesn't really know where home is. But he, you know, is a, now a successful poet and essayist and finds himself thinking about this one place where they lived when he was young called Genpeg. They were building a dam and his father was hired to work on the construction. And it was like this small, you know, sort of nowhere place. And he remembers, you know, it very fondly, but he also has like no real sense of what it was like. And then he finds out that the local comic community, the local native community, is facing an epidemic of teenage suicides and environmental destruction and the The Canadian government has, like, not fulfilled all of the promises that they've made. So they have, like, evicted, basically, Manitoba's electric utility from the dam there where Ali grew up. So he's like, all right, there's so much stuff going on here. And I have no sense of, like, was this going on when I was there? Like, what is this community facing? Like, how does it connect to what I experienced? So he goes back and he starts talking to people and, like, learning about their lives. And it's a really—I mean, he's a poet— And I think you can tell his sentences are beautiful. It's very accessible and a very flowing read. Like, he's a great sort of tour guide through both his own life and these different places that he's going, these different people that he's talking to. And it's a really, I mean, it's just a really lovely, thoughtful, and I think important read about, like, yeah, What do, especially Native communities in um, First Nations communities in Canada, what are they dealing with? Like, what does it mean to belong somewhere? What does it mean to be a brown person in the world who perhaps has helped harm other brown people? Like, how do you come to terms with that? Like, and also his own identity. So there's a lot of different things going on here. Queerness is certainly part of his experience, but this is not focused specifically on being queer, which I think is also good to like, like not every book has to be about what it means to be only queer. Like, mm-hmm. queer identities is only one part of any human's experience, so it's good to look at all of their experiences. So again, that's Northern Light by Kazim Ali.
0: I also picked a memoir. I picked The Natural Mother of the Child by Chris Malcolm Belk, which is uh, a little under three hundred pages, so I think will fit pretty nicely into a book club situation. I also think this is a great book club pick because it's a parenting memoir and everybody has opinions about parenting. (laughs) Whether you are a parent or not, or a grandparent or never wanted children ever in your whole life, like doesn't matter. Everyone has, has opinions about it. So Chris is a non-binary trans-masculine parent who is married to a woman named Anna. Anna carried their first son, and then Chris carried their second son. And so the memoir is about that experience. It's also about, like, when Samson, who is their second son, was born, Anna had to legally adopt him. And the same was also true, like, when Anna had her son, Chris, or birthed her son, Chris had to legally adopt that child as well. So there was a lot of, like legal wrangling and then Chris didn't transition until after Samson was born. So all of the like the birth documents uh list Chris as the natural mother of the child for all of the adoption paperwork and things like that. And by the time they got to court, so that Anna could adopt Samson, Chris had already transitioned. And so it was just a very like there was just a lot. There's a lot going on. Mm. Like it's very much about like the legal the way that the legal system treats trans and non-binary parents and how just inherently more complicated and annoying. The whole process of having a (laughs) child is like having a child is annoying at full sentence. Like that's the end of that sentence. If you are naturally Mm. birthing your child to, you know, call back to the title or adopting a child, whatever you're doing, however you're becoming a parent, it's it's an obnoxious process. (laughs) Like it's physically obnoxious or it's legally obnoxious. Or if you are non-binary and or trans, it is all of the above. And I just had, uh, because this is not my lane, I had no real concept of the kind of detailed, just everyday, pain-in-the-butt, obnoxious crap people have to go through to parent their own children in this way and it is so eye-opening and Chris is such a great writer if you have audiobook people in your book club I really recommend the audiobook because he reads it and there's just you know when you get a memoir read by the author there's so much like emotion and you can feel them reliving the memories as they're reading it and it's just a lot more poignant in my opinion so that's The Natural Mother of the Child by Chris Malcolm Belk
1: All right. Our next question is from Anissa, who says, I'm looking for legal thrillers or courtroom dramas, preferably the latter. I read a lot of John Grisham novels... No, I read a lot of John Grisham novels as a teenager, and A Few Good Men is still one of my favorite films. I've been wanting to revisit the genre lately. I enjoyed Miracle Creek and The Holdout. Everywhere That Mary Went and Blood Orange were two TBR recommendations that I couldn't get into. The former felt too dated, and the latter was distracting because I don't understand the British legal system, and I kept getting sidetracked having to look up the terminology. I want a book I can settle into right away. I would prefer if the protagonist wasn't a cisgendered white male, but it's not a requirement. I'm just going to keep talking. I Mm. went to Jamie, who writes our Unusual Suspects newsletter and is my personal go-to for all things mystery thriller. And she recommended a book that sounds like it is right up your alley. It's A Good Marriage by Kimberly McCraight. And this is about a woman who's a lawyer. So here we go. Legal thriller. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Lizzie. uh, She is working, like, terrible hours at this law firm. Uh, She recently, like had to switch jobs. She was a federal prosecutor, but then everything like fell apart. And she had to, you know, go work for this law firm. And her marriage is like fallen apart. And then she gets a call from an old friend who is now an inmate at Rikers because his wife has been found dead at the bottom of the stairs of their Brooklyn home. And he is the primary suspect. And, you know, you can sort of imagine how this unfolds from there. It's interesting in that it's a combination of narrative emails and grand jury testimonials so like it sounds like you really love the courtroom slash legal stuff which you will definitely get from this book I mean literally testimonials like that's fun that's a fun twist mm-hmm. uh, so again that's a good marriage by Kimberly McCrate.
0: All right I picked the Night Swim by Megan Goldwyn which has a trigger warning for sexual assault so this is a dual POV mystery thriller. So, the main character's name is uh, Rachel, and she is a true crime podcast host. She's got a big, famous true crime podcast, like Overnight Sensation, that resulted, her last season resulted in the freeing of an innocent man from prison. So, she's kind of looking around for her next season's topic. And it's, you know, it's a lot of pressure because her last season was such a big deal. And so, she lands on this case uh, that's happening in a little town called Neapolis, where the town's like, golden boy like golden child who's a swimmer who's supposed to go to the olympics has been accused of raping a high school student the high school student like this would never have come this would never have been a thing that made its way to trial except because he's so beloved except the high school student is the granddaughter of the chief of police of the small town so there was a brouhaha made he is he was arrested and now he is in uh, jail and the trial is going on so she decides she's going to um, follow that case, which is, you know, it's a court in a courtroom. While she's there investigating the case, she people somebody starts leaving like notes on her windshield, on on Rachel's windshield. She reads them, she disregards them at first, and the notes are from a woman named Hannah, who is our second POV that we're getting throughout the novel. And Hannah is asking Rachel to investigate the death of her sister Jenny, who officially drowned 25 years ago. But the but according to Hannah's letters, she thinks that she was murdered. And uh, like, drowned accidentally. Hannah thinks she was murdered. And Rachel is like, I can't, this is, I'm here for this other thing, the swimmer trial. I'm not here for this thing. And she just ignores the notes. But she can tell, like, she feels that she's being watched everywhere she goes. She knows that Hannah is, like, out there following her. But then she realizes that there are little bits and pieces in the notes that kind of don't, like, parts of the trial that don't add up. TLDR, Rachel gets hooked into trying to figure out what happened to this girl 25 years ago and starts to realize that it might be related to the current case that she's following that's in court right now with the swimmer and the 16 year old girl so it's very i mean you can just tell it's very related to current events there's the stanford trial and also true crime podcasts are like such a big thing right now i think We're just starting to reckon with like the kind Mm. of sociological implications of our obsession with true crime, especially true crime that relates to like pretty young girls. And so Mm. all of that is starting to come out in fiction, which I love that people are starting to like actually really think about it. Um, And it's all tied up in this one book. So that's The Night Swim by Megan Golden. All right. Question three is from Alexis, who says, I'm looking for a wreck for a friend who spent last summer in the hospital with COVID and had a long road to recovery. They just recently told me they're trying to get back into reading, but they're looking for books that are comforting and engaging. They'd like something page-turnery, like a mystery, but nothing too harsh or violent. I tried Becky Chambers, but sci-fi and fantasy turned them off, saying it's too much work to picture what's going on. Most of the mysteries I know are too violent or depressing. They'd also prefer books by
1: authors of color. All right, Jen, what you got? I picked "Even as We Breathe" by Annette Sanook Clapsaddle because I was trying to think of like, like a gentler reading experience. Um, And there are a lot of different ways I could have gone with this, but this book popped into my head and I couldn't get it out of it. Um, Kind of warnings for harm to children, some racism and racial slurs. And this is is a little bit of a slow burn, but I do think it sucks you in enough that it will hold your friend's attention. The narrator is a 20-year-old named County who lives in... North Carolina and is part of the local Cherokee, like lives on the Kuala Boundary, which is the Cherokee Indian Reservation. And he gets a job working at this like ski lodge, except that this is during the 1940s, 1942 specifically. And this inn is being used as like a holding place for axis diplomats and they're like diplomatic you know sort of quote-unquote prisoners like they're restricted but it's not like a prison like it's actually a very nice situation but they're being held there until like everybody can figure out what's going to go on with this and so he gets a job on the grounds and he also gets to spend a lot of time with essie who is this like very pretty young woman and she's got a big crush and you know she's like maybe perhaps not as into him as she is into her. And then a diplomat's daughter goes missing at the inn. And as like a brown person, county is suspected. And there's all kinds of like things that come together here. Um, You get to like, Re- you get really immersed in what it was, what it would have been like to be alive at that moment in that place, and this is a combination I don't feel like I've seen before. Like you know, North Carolina during World War II from a Cherokee perspective. Like, what? That's like an amazing combination of things, and it is so like evocative. Like you really do feel like you're there, and I got so attached to these characters. So even though it isn't like the fastest paced mystery, and there's not a ton of action on the page. I do think it's extremely engaging and immersive and would be a nice read for somebody who just like needs to get out of their own head. So again, that is Even As We Breathe by Annette Sanook Clapsaddle.
0: All right. I picked Death by Dumpling by Vivian Chien, which is the first book in the Noodle Shop mystery series. And this is a cozy mystery series that is uh, violent in as much as somebody is murdered. But it's certainly not grisly or on the page bloody or anything like that. So, I mean, literally someone dies because of dumplings, if that gives you like a a hint as to the level of brutality <laughs> we're talking about here. Um so the main character is Lana. She has returned from, you know, her great adult life out in the world where she had a really really awful breakup and like quit her terrible job in a really dramatic fashion and is now home working in her family's restaurant, which is kind of the last place she wanted to be at this point in her life, but you know, what are you going to do? Her mom is doing that thing where she's forever trying to get her married. Lana's not interested. She's just like at a kind of a crossroads trying to figure out what she wants her next steps to be. Um, She delivers some dumplings, like a a lunch order next door to the restaurant's property manager, whose name is Mr. Fang, who works out of one of the other offices in this like strip mall where the restaurant's located. And he dies, like immediately dies. Uh, He has an allergic reaction to the shrimp in the dumplings. And one of the cooks in the restaurant is immediately arrested. But Lana is, like, really convinced that it is not his fault or anybody's fault in the restaurant because everybody knew about Mr. Fang's allergy. And, like, nobody would deliver him accidentally or on purpose dumplings with any kind of seafood in them. And then it comes out that he was trying to raise the rent on a bunch of the businesses in this strip mall, including on the rest the restaurant where she, where her parents, um, you know, have worked their whole lives. Uh, And so everyone comes under suspicion, the cook, Lana, uh, and then a nice little added bonus twist here is that the detective who's investigating the death is like super hot. So (laughs) that's distracting and obnoxious. Everyone comes under suspicion, including Lana. And she is out to clear the names of all of her friends and these people she's grown up with forever because The businesses in the strip mall are all owned by like friends of her family and also clear her own name and also maybe get a little closer to this super hot detective as long as he doesn't arrest her or anyone she likes. So that's, you know, hashtag kind of complicated. It's really fast paced. It's lighthearted despite the murder. It's funny. And I think if you're coming off of like a really intense health situation, it's it's very low effort. You know what I mean? Like your brain's not going to do a lot of work. You can just buckle up and kind of go along for this very cozy ride. So that's Death by Dumpling by Vivian Chien.
1: All right. Our next question is from Laura, who says, I've been buying your recommended books for my nephew, and they've been such a hit. He devoured the Princess and Black books and recently loved the first book in the Wollstonecraft Detective Agency series. I plan to give him the Lumberjanes at some point, too. He's seven and loves Frozen, the Magic School Bus, the Investigators books, and the Boxcar Children series. Suggestions for anything else he might enjoy would be amazing. Yes, Laura, hello from another cool book aunt. Yeah, I'm just going to keep talking. I am going to recommend to you one that was a huge hit with one of my nephews this year, and that is Rutabaga the Adventure Chef by Eric Colossal. There are a few volumes of this really delightful graphic novel, and Rutabaga is, as you might guess, from the title, An Adventure Chef, which means he goes on adventures around this fantasy land. Uh, He's got an enchanted cauldron, and he's looking for special ingredients, and he meets you know, various people, creatures, etc. along the way and has all kinds of delightful adventures. He's got really fun catchphrases that now my nephew is obsessed with saying. And it's just like, it's adorable. It's funny. It's really great. I think it's ideal for that age range and that interest level. So again, that is a The Adventure Chef by Eric Colossal.
0: I want to be an adventure chef.
1: Right? Same. I like I want an enchanted cauldron
0: yesterday. Oh, so. 100. Yes, yes. All right, I picked the Sam Woo is Not Afraid series by Katie and Kevin Sang, and it's illustrated by Nathan Reed. The first book is Sam Woo is Not Afraid of Ghosts, and full disclosure, Katie Sang is a friend of Book she's a friend of the site. So there are many books in this series, I think six at this point, and all of them are about Sam being not afraid of something. Space, zombies, there's one about sharks, there's like Sam who is not afraid of the dark. Of course, I'm sure you can guess that he is actually very deeply afraid of all of these things, (laughs) including of ghosts. And all of the books are about him facing his various and sundry fears through uh, essentially like goofy kid exposure therapy. So the first book, Samuel is not afraid of ghosts, is really getting a picture of how he got his reputation at school for being a scaredy cat, um, which is that he got dared to when they when the class was on like a field trip at a space museum, he got dared by the, the school bully to go on this ride, which he did. He had, I think he like pees his pants or some very like, you know, kind of embarrassing reaction to how scared he was on the ride and has been teased about it ever since. And so he is just determined to rewrite this narrative about him being a scaredy cat and so he like goes out and buys a pet that's actually really quite frightening though his grandmother is my favorite character in the series because he like he doesn't ask his parents if he can go buy this pet i don't want to spoil what it is but he asks his grandma if she will go buy the pet Mm -hmm. for him because if my grandmother lets me do it then my mom has to let me do it because this is my mom's mom So it's like going up the hierarchy of mom, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he goes and he does that. uh, And then he like realizes that the the building that he's in is haunted and he's got to kind of face that fear. And his grandmother, again, hilariously is like, oh, absolutely go surreal. Yeah. And she like falls asleep and takes a nap and lets him and his friends just kind of deal with that. Like, yeah, go surreal. And now you have to figure out how to operate in this world where there are ghosts. So it's like... Pretty low stakes, right? He's got to figure out if ghosts are real. He has to deal with his fear of spiders and stuff, zombies uh, and things like that. So it's not spooky. Like, it's not gonna be too spooky for a seven-year-old. It's like... I feel like the magic school bus level of spooky where things are just a little bit out of control is kind of exactly right. Like there's peril if that makes sense. <laughs> mild peril. Um, but Sam Wu is such a sweet character. I love the the lesson of the whole series which is about like it's cool to be afraid. It's also, there are also like coping mega- mechanisms you can have to deal with how afraid you are of something. Being more curious than you are afraid is like a great life motto and that's pretty much what all of these books are about. So that's Sam Wu is not afraid. The first book is Sam Wu is not afraid of ghosts by K.
2: really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine. Partying hard is what it takes. But with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critics Scott King John Steptoe Award for new talent for We Deserve Monuments and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes and Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023. So suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Thank mm-hmm. you.
0: All right, question five is from Madison, who says, I'm a big fan of books that feel like fairy tales or fable-like in either subject matter or writing style. Some examples include The Snow Child by Eowyn *Ivy* and The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. I would love something like this that was written by an LGBTQIA and or BIPOC author and included a queer romance where homophobia doesn't take on a lot of narrative weight. I tend to like longer books, so if it's over 350 pages, that would be amazing. All right, Jen, go Jen.
1: This is an interesting question to do research from because at first I, read it, I was like, oh, I've got tons of those. But then mm-hmm. as I started poking at it, it's like there's not a lot actually that are longer that are also mm. a, like adult. Like the two titles you listed are adult fiction titles. And so I was trying to steer in that direction. But then I was not able to hit all of the other points. So we're going to YA. But I do feel like this book is extremely crossovery, And I loved it. And I think you will love it. It is Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa basher Uh It does come with a content warning for emotional abuse. This is like sort of a Snow White retelling, sort of, kind of. Uh, we have two POVs. Mina, who is the daughter of a, like, very horrible man, who is also a <clears throat> ma- magician. I mean, he's horrible to her. Everybody else thinks he's great. Um, but he is a magician, and she was, like, sort of, like, constructed by her father. Like, she has a heart that's made of glass. It's a fairy tale. Like, what do you want? <laughs> and she is also beautiful, and she they, they move to this castle so that the magician can work for the king, and she, like, decides she's, you know, gonna win the king's heart and become queen and, like, no love and, you know, be, like, a real person. Because she doesn't feel like one. And then we have Lynette, who is the daughter of the king, whose mother died when she was little. And there's like this whole sort of secret about her own origin story. She loves her stepmother, Mina, and... Also, there are things happening that are trying to force the two of them into conflict. And the way that they deal with this is like, feels so reparative is the word I'm going to use. Like, this is such a great rewrite of what it means to be for, like, especially feminine persons to be pitted against each other by a patriarchal system and be like, you know what? I'm not going to play that game. We're going to do something else. And it's such a beautiful journey for both characters. I really love the way this POV, like, switch happens. They sort of wind around each other in a really interesting way. There is also a sapphic romance, and it's so atmospheric and, like, Ugh, it is so fably. It's got it's got everything you're looking for. Uh, so again, that's Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Bashardoust.
0: All right, I picked The Seafarer's Kiss by Julia Ember, which I'm sad to say is not over 350 pages, but I think it hits every other point. This is like if the Little Mermaid and Norse mythology had a YA lesbian baby. <laughs> I, I'm saying that now, realizing that I don't actually know if the Little Mermaid is is not Norse. Like, I don't I don't know it, the origins.
1: Uh, It's european sure. Okay. Well, this is
0: like the Little Mermaid and then like Loki is a character. And like Thor, you know, so very, very specific kind of Norse stuff. So the main character is Ursul. She is a mermaid. She's 19. She lives in the Great North uh, with her, what? I don't know what one calls a group of mermaids, like a school of mermaids. They're fish. A pod? Yeah, sure. Family and friends is what I'm going to go. Community. (laughs) Her Community of mermaids. And they live in a glacier, like, you know, the part of it that's underwater. They have little little rooms and homes and all that, dining halls, all that kind of thing. And so their society is set up in this kind of terrifying way where girls are valued based on their fertility and they are becoming less and less fertile the more time they spend in the North because they are not originally like from there. Um, And so she has avoided this like test that, you know, determines how fertile a mermaid is and therefore determines her kind of value to the community for for years because she just doesn't she's not interested in that future she's trying to figure out what uh, what else she can do how to escape she's kind of a loner she collects a lot of trinkets like she's a little weird you know um and her mom's a little eccentric she's kind of an outcast uh and then one day she rescues a shield maiden named ragna who was on a sinking viking ship um and has is, like, stranded on an ice floe. She, and so Ursel starts bringing her, like, food and wood to build a ship. They start speaking to each other. And this is all very, very forbidden. Um, they start developing feelings for each other. And then Ursel's childhood friend, who is uh, a boy who, like, really deeply wants to marry her catches them and then like presents her with this choice you can either marry me and abandon this girl or i'm going to turn you into the king and the king is brutal the king is this awful uh, violent very misogynistic character and so she decides actually i don't like either of those options i don't want to marry you and i don't want to deal with the king so she goes to loki for help and makes a deal to get herself out of the situation. And of course, as we all know, because we've all seen various and sundry Avengers movies, making a deal with Loki never really turns out <laughs> the way that it, that you intended. And then things go from there. So there's a lot. It, it, it has that kind of... the thing. One of the things I loved about The Snow Child is how cold you feel while you're reading it. Mm-hmm. Like I am from the South. I was reading it in Virginia. <laughs> I was not cold. Um, but you just feel like it's just so... It wraps you in this like wintery emotional blanket <laughs> and that's exactly how this feels everything the water is freezing the air is freezing her heart is frozen you know like everything is so cold <laughs> and shivery and fairy tale like in that way and then of course it's got like literal fairy tales from different cultures and the little mermaid from all of our childhoods in the story and it's it's like brutal it's rough it's a fairy tale in like kind of the legit meaning of the term and that like things do not always end in a, in a happy, yummy, Disney-fied sort of way. So that's mm. The Seafarer's Kiss by Julia Ember.
1: All right. Our next question is from Maymuna, who says, I recently started enjoying fantasy romance books. I read Bridge Kingdom and I'm about to start The Traitor Queen, the sequel. I'm loving these books so far, although I wish the romance was not so slow. Any recommendation for books that fall in the fantasy romance genre that lean more on the romance side? I generally enjoy enemies to lovers and or marriage of convenience type romance books. I also enjoy books with a lot of atmospheric description and historical information. So listen, (laughs) Mimu. I I went a little sideways with this one, but I don't care, and I don't think you're going to care either, because this book is so good. So what you're saying, the book that you mentioned, the fantasy romance book that you mentioned, is like a medieval-y sort of book, and Mm. I am giving you a modern, a contemporary fantasy romance, but it is so atmospheric, the romance is so satisfying, there is a historical twist to it, and... The magic is great. It's Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper. I read this sort of late in the year and it has become one of my favorites of the year for just like get to like the most satisfying escapist contemporary fantasy romance experience you could possibly have. The main character, Emmy, is a witch. She is from this town, Thistle Grove, which is like the, to- the whole town is magic. Everybody who lives there has magic. Like, the whole thing is magic. But it's just one town in the United States. And, like, she left because she felt really sort of boxed in by uh, the weight of the history of the town and the different lineages. Like, there's four main families, and they all have, like, very specific roles in the town's life and very specific kinds of magic. And then she got her heart broken by this guy who's, like, the scion of the richest family in town with the most magic. And she's like, I'm out. I'm going to go to Chicago. I'm going to be a normal. I'm going to like do real life and like forget all of you. Like I refuse to be this person that you're trying to force me to be. She gets pulled back. Because there's this, like, magical competition that happens every X years. And as the oldest member of her lineage, she's the one who's supposed to, like, moderate slash arbitrate the whole competition. So she goes back and she's like, okay, I'm going to spend time with my parents who I love. Like, I'm going to see my best friend who never left and, like, try to, like just do this thing. I'll be there for a week, then I'll go back home. Of course, that's not what happens. She runs into the jerk who broke her heart, still a jerk, and she finds out that he has also broken the hearts of her best friend and another woman, Talia, who is like, the femme fatale witch of your, you know, sapphic dreams. And they all team up to take him down as part of this magical competition. It is delightful. It is, it's like stars hollow, but witchier and snarkier. And it is just really, really fun fantasy romance, but also contemporary. I'm not sorry that I didn't give you exactly a comp for Bridge Kingdom because I really think you're going to like this. I loved it. It's Paybacks a Witch by Lana Harper.
0: All right. I I am recommending A Court of Thorn and Roses, obviously, (laughs) by Sarah J. Maas, which is uh, the first book in a series, I think of which there are six six five many there's a lot of books in this series so this is a fantasy romance it's very heavy on the fantasy the first book is enemies to lovers and it's about a girl named fair who lives in a very like poor kind of medievalish sort of village her family sucks (laughs) they're like awful her mother is dead her father is useless her sisters are ungrateful that whole kind of thing and Fair is the only one who has any sort of competence or ability to survive. So she's uh, a hunter. You know, it's big Game of Thrones energy. Not Game of Thrones. Uh, Hunger Games. Big Hunger Games energy. She's a hunter. She goes out into the woods and like provides for these very obnoxious people for some reason that I never really understand. But that's fine. I mean, so she goes out into <laughs> the woods. She finds a deer and it's being hunted by this big giant wolf. And she's like, well, I need to eat. So she kills the wolf uh, and takes the deer home and then pretty immediately realizes that she's actually killed a fairy. So the her in this world her like village borders the fairy lands and it's a kind of uneasy truce between humans and fairies. There are a lot of rules that govern their interactions. Fairies are not supposed to come into like the human area, but if they do and a human kills a fairy, they, like, forfeit their life, essentially. The fairies can come and kill them in return or take them back to fairyland and make them do whatever they want. And so that's what happens. A a fairy shows up at fair's door and is like, hey, you killed my buddy. You're coming back with me. And she's like, well, I guess this is what's happening. So she goes and she's just... Resistant the whole time, and like because you know what can you do? These are immortal beings; they're magical, they're strong. He could kill this fairy who has taken her; could kill her at any point. And so she just resists in as much as she can. She like asks a lot of annoying questions. She looks around for ways to get out. She tries to figure out how to get back to her family. Um, But the more she gets to know this fairy who has taken her, the more she's like, "Oh wait, you're kind of smoking hot, and I'm into this." So that's (laughs) that's that's what happens. (laughs) And then she realizes, like, the more she gets into his life, that. She has found herself sort of dropped into this really, actually, my Game of Thrones accidental comp before was not too far off. This, like, very political, tense decades millennia-old machinations that are happening in the fairy world that she has found herself just dropped into the middle of. Um, and then she has to kind of save save the day. And then as the series continues, the books get more and more romantic in like explicit ways, if that's a thing you're terribly interested in. You know what I'm saying? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of, this is just very like angst and feelings and fairies. Angst, feelings, fairies. It's the ro- fantasy romance trifecta. <laughs> so that's A Court of Throne and Roses by Sarah J Maas. <laughs> All right, our last question of the year is for Anna is from Anna Marie. So thank you Anna Marie. She says, "I'm hoping you can recommend some books for my 13-year-old son. He's loved to read in the past, but in the last year or so, he's less and less interested." Look, that's that's relatable. Um he says he can't find anything he's interested in anymore and isn't sure where to start. It's tough to get him away from the computer. Some books he's enjoyed in the past are The Guardians of Ga'Hoole series, The Warrior Books by Erin Hunter, Wings of Fire, and Percy Jackson. Skyward and Starsight, both by Brendan Sanderson. He can handle long chapter books, but I'm wondering if a graphic novel might be a great, might be great to start with. I'm just not sure what to get for his age. I'd love to get him books for Christmas, but if you don't get this until after the holidays, I would still love some suggestions. Okay. I'm going to keep going, actually. So, um. Your son's reading tastes are very similar to my kids' reading tastes. Like, they've read and loved a lot of the same books that your son has. They are also very hard to get away from the computer. Uh, they're very into Pokemon and Minecraft and Roblox and all those kinds of things that I don't understand. But that's fine. I don't have to. I don't have to understand the things that my kids like. This is the thing I keep telling myself. <laughs> but another series that they really loved that I think would appeal is the Summoner series by Taryn Mathuru. The book one it, book one is called The Novus. And this is a mashup of, like, a lot of things that kids this age really like. So it's got elements of Lord of the Rings, it has elements of Pokemon... It's got elements of, oh, what's that? Oh, the one with the daemons. What's that one? Uh, His Dark Materials. Thank you, of His Dark Materials. Um, so it's about a boy named Fletcher who realizes that he has the ability to summon demons from another world. And this is not uncommon. This is like a thing that people in this universe can do. But most of the people who can do that are wealthy and who like come from these very powerful families. They go off to the military academy. They become high-ranking military officers in the um, Empire's kind of endless war against orcs. Orcs. Yes, literal orcs. There are also elves. So he is not rich. He's a blacksmith's apprentice and an orphan who's like discovered he was left in a basket, you know, outside of the blacksmith's door and raised by this kind of single dude who is very much like a Hagrid sort of character, very nice and sweet. And then once he realizes that he can do this thing with the demons, he gets just immediately taken off to go to the military academy to study. Um, his demon is like a little dragon named uh, Ignatius. He's very cute. And then, of course, he gets to this um, school, which has Harry Potter vibes and uh, realizes that similar to Harry Potter, he is like very out of his depth. He doesn't understand the social the like social things that are going on like who is uh really enemies with whom and like what old families hate what other old families there are also elves here i thought those were our enemies there's like weird diplomacy things going on that he doesn't understand he's just way out you know in over his head but he's also really really magically talented and that leads him to getting involved in all of this politics. He finds himself on the front lines of this war and has to figure out not just like how to survive, but like if the side that he's on is the right one or if the war that he's fighting is just at all or not. Um, there are lots and lots of magical kind of like beasties, you know, which are, are is a big theme in the books that your son really likes, like sentient magical animals who talk and help and are, you know, characters in their own right. So I think that he will quite like this. So this uh, The Summoner series by Taryn Mathrew, the first book is called The...
1: So I decided to find you a graphic novel and I'm picking Monstrous by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. And I will say this is like has some darkness and violence to it, but I don't think it's inappropriate for a 13 year old. Like, I think it's I think I think it's fine. I don't Mm. know. Leave through. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, it's fine. I mean, I'm sure he's seen worse on TV, to be completely honest. Yeah. And also, video games are pretty dark and violent these days. So, I think it is fine. Anyway, this I picked this because it is a magical world sort of situation. There's creatures, there's, you know, different like political things going on, there's secret identities and like, you know, rebels and all of these things. Like, it's got elements of the fantasy. That are similar to, especially I think the Brandon Sanderson, like, and and some of the other books that he's read and loved. Like, it's got all those fantasy world trappings. The main character is a teenage girl who, like, is has survived this like war and has a mysterious like mental link with a monster and is trying to figure out like what to do with this power that she has. Like, what, you know, who can she trust? Who can she not trust? What should? What is her destiny? All of these like big. Huge fantasy questions, right? The art is stunning. There's a ton of adventure and action. Like it is extremely captivating, is the word. Like uh, your eyes are glued to the page when you're reading Monstrous, I think. And Mm. so it does feel like if your attention is hard to grab, here are familiar elements done in a like a totally fresh and interesting way, and you will not be able to look away from it. So I think it's a good shot. There's quite a few volumes out now. There are different, like, amounts of collections. But if you want to hedge your bets a little bit, um, you can get Monstrous Volume 1 Awakening, which collects the first six. This is a comic, like a serial comic. So this collects the first six issues of Monstrous. But there's also a thicker uh, book, Monstrous Book 1, that has more in it if you want to just, like, go all in. So, again, that's Monstrous by Marjorie M. Liu and Sana Takeda. And that is our year. (laughs) That's
0: it. That's our show. I know. Join us the first week of January for... You know, our favorite books of 2021 and what we're looking forward to in 2022. Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for, I mean, editing out God knows how many coughs (laughs) and sneezes and weird starts this year. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening to us, as always. Uh, For more recommendations, you can go to bookriot.com. You can find all of our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And please go leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to all of our sponsors this year. And you can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen,
1: where are you? You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to y'all in
2: 2022. Bye.